Welcome to the Bridging Connections podcast. This podcast will introduce you to the people who are on the cutting edge of Jewish innovation. You will be hearing from founders and directors of contemporary organizations creating new paths to participate in Jewish life. In this podcast, you will learn about best practices, tips for engagement, and how to create meaningful connections. This is a place that will bridge you to the tools and resources used by the Jewish leaders, visionaries, and innovators that are creating a new sustainable Judaism. I'm your host, Elizabeth Gossage, and I welcome you to come bridge the gap with me. Does music help you feel connected? Carla Friend, founder and executive director of Takia, says that connecting to music at Shabbat services was comforting for her. Her connections to Jewish music and her cultural experiences while traveling abroad inspired her to launch Takia. Takia creates participatory music experiences. Their goal is to meet participants where they are physically, psychologically, and spiritually, helping them to find their unique connection to Jewish culture and community. Takia's programs span the generations. Takia facilitates classroom music for preschools and enrichment classes. Their programs for young families can be found outside in several New York City neighborhoods. The Takia for Life program provides music experiences for the elderly, and you can hire Takia's music specialists to provide entertainment in person or virtually for your child's upcoming birthday party. Carla and I discussed the benefits of forming relationships with existing Jewish organizations. She explained, Organizations are realizing that they don't have to reinvent the wheel. There are many content providers, like Takia, who have figured out how to do one thing really well. Takia is now partnering with more than 50 other organizations. They offer dozens of experiences each week. Carla has big plans to expand Takia internationally. Takia provides an exciting way to engage in Jewish life for people of all ages. I am excited to see Takia connect more people to the richness of Jewish culture through their participatory programs. I'm really excited to speak with you about Takia, but really to kind of delve into your background and what brought you to creating and starting up Takia. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you about my journey and my organization. I guess a little bit about me and how I grew up Jewishly. I'm originally from the Bronx in New York City, but mostly grew up on Long Island with an interesting relationship with Judaism. Both my parents were culturally Jewish, but my mom never really felt a deep connection with Judaism. Well, on the flip side, my father became more and more Jewishly evolved in his adult life. We went to a reform synagogue at Temple Isaiah in Stony Brook. So he wasn't religious in the traditional sense, but he did eat kosher style and brought us to synagogue for every holiday and would even come home from work early on Fridays so we could go to Shabbat services. And since I'm a Jewish professional, people are often surprised to learn that not only did I not go to Jewish day school, but even more surprised since I'm into music that I didn't go to Jewish camp. Um, my only Jewish education was 
at my temple's religious school once or twice a week. And after that ended in, I think, 10th grade, and I was becoming more of a teenager, my Jewish engagement was pretty much over for almost a decade. I was always deeply engaged in the performing arts and spent a lot of my time in dance and music and theater classes. And I ended up going to college for music education at Ithaca College. While in college, my father became the president of our temple, and soon after that, he passed away very suddenly. The way that my home synagogue and community stepped up to help us really did stand out to me and deepen my Jewish connection a bit, but I was still going about my life just generally not engaged in Judaism at all. After college, I started working as a music teacher and eventually went back for my master's degree at NYU, which was also in music education. And while I was there in grad school, a friend of mine convinced me to go with him to some musical Shabbat services. And I was so surprised to find that the music really transformed me in a number of ways. I felt an instant and deep connection to my father and also to my Jewish heritage in general. And I started going with this friend to services at NYU, as well as several different synagogues around the city, because this connection that I felt through the music was extremely comforting to me. And this really began my journey of rediscovering my Jewish identity through music. And I also made it my life's work to help others do the same. And I guess how this evolved into me starting Takia also had to do with some other things. Uh, while in grad school, I had the opportunity to take a class in Uganda where I experienced a culture that's really rooted in community music and dance. And when I returned from my time in Uganda, I was taking a community music course where we would get visits from executive directors of different community music schools around New York City, which were mostly, I learned, just places where people take their kids for music lessons. So the more I learned about this, the more heated I became that this was not what I believed to be community music. I was picturing really what I experienced in Uganda, where people come together to celebrate their culture through participatory music and dancing. So I started thinking about what I thought a community music school should be. And since I was simultaneous on this Jewish identity discovery journey, I started researching if there were any Jewish community music schools. And I was really surprised to find that even in New York City, this didn't really exist. So then in lieu of the final paper for this community music course, my professor allowed me to write about um, my new theoretical Jewish community music school, which would have cultural arts programming all day, every day. And that's when the idea for Takia was born. I initially envisioned this as a physical space and started using JCCs temporarily, or so I thought, until I was ready to get my own building. But after a while, I eventually realized that we didn't need our own space, and we were able to spread our mission even more widely by partnering with other organizations and public spaces to really meet people where they are. Well, there's so much I have in my mind over what you talked about, but <laughs> why don't I go back to... That was a long answer. No, and it was, it was great. I really want to go back to how you felt at the end of your formal education in Jewish life that you did have at the end of like 10th grade, mm -hmm. and that it didn't cause a connection. Yeah, it. you know, at the time, I think it did. And then just, well, since I grew up at a reform synagogue, some people may or may not know that after your bar or bat mitzvah, they keep you on for a few extra years, which this thing called a confirmation that happens in 10th grade. And 
it seems like a pretty smart way to just keep the kids coming for a little bit longer. But there's not really much infrastructure to keep people like that engaged longer term. And I guess caught up in high school and friends and my extracurricular activities. It just wasn't a priority for me anymore. And it makes sense because there's so many other things that at that age, and even as you get older, there's so many other things we can get involved with. And it just begs the question of where we start to plant the seeds for young children that the participation in Jewish life is can just be part of your everyday life. It's part of your yeah. culture. It's not necessarily an extra. And that's what came up for me is that, okay, so when we went to school, we were involved and then now we're not in a classroom setting. How do we stay connected? Because we're still Jewish, whether we see ourselves as Jewish religiously or culturally, it's still part of us. And how do we keep that connection going? And I think he has some of the answer to that, meeting people where they are and moving on with them and allowing them to express a new way of their Jewishness through a way they may not have been introduced to before. So I think it's amazing. And also I can relate to what you were saying about community gatherings in Uganda. And I've thought about even when there are Native American drum circles, which is like another community gathering around music. Mm -hmm. And there are many cultures that have these types of gatherings, just specifically my best friend growing up, their family was from Colombia, and music was a big, huge part of their daily life in their home. And whenever I was there, and especially when during family gatherings, music was a lot around, they were singing, there was always someone playing some kind of instrument, there was always bands, something that I wasn't used to growing up, but I realized that many, many cultures have a component of music and movement built right into their culture. Yeah, you see so much of that in different world cultures. And something about our culture is we're just, I don't know, if everything feels a little bit too structured sometimes. And even though this is what I've like made my life's work to do, I still sometimes feel myself feeling self-conscious and not wanting to improvise and just things that have been ingrained in us since a young age. And I feel like we don't have like the inhibitions to be as as free as we see in some of these other cultures with their community music and dance. So that's a little bit of what we're, we're trying to do. We're not trying to like overturn the entire culture we have uh, in Jewish American life, but just something that's a little more free and participatory and a little less structured in the traditional sense. Yes. And I wonder, I mean, even you can come up with stories from the Torah, I wonder if there wasn't more of this in the past and that we've lost it somewhere along the way. I mean, even with Miriam dancing at the sea once they crossed the sea and she came out. Control, I was just thinking about that. Right? So I think that it, it has been a part of Jewish culture that has been displaced for a little while and you're bringing new light to it is how I would see. And I'm sure there are a lot of other places and the truth is, I can't speak for someone that's not Ashkenazi. I'm Ashkenazi. And there might be much more of that in the other communities within Judaism, Sephardim and Mizrahim, that yeah. might have more relation to music nowadays than we do. 
This is very true. I, I also had a very Ashkenazi upbringing. And just as it might be, I, I think the majority of the employees we have at Takiya are Ashkenazi, though we do have one that identifies as Mizrahi and another that's Hawaiian, and she doesn't consider herself Ashkenazi necessarily either. And we, We're really doing our best to diversify our team so that we do have insight from all these different cultures within Judaism, because I recognize that my view is pretty narrow, and I'm doing my best to expand that all the time. It's amazing. And when we expand our own views and views of others, it just adds to the richness of our already rich culture. So I love that. Tell me about different programs that Takia is doing now, kind of maybe how you pivoted during the pandemic and then how you're going back to what might be more what we consider normal pre-pandemic. <laughs> sure. Um, so we, as you mentioned before, we pride ourselves in creating experiences that meet people where they are. That means physically, psychologically, spiritually, all the things to find their unique connection with Jewish culture and community. So we try to do a variety of different sorts of experiences. Pre-pandemic, the majority of our programming was through one of our 60 partner organizations, and a lot have had to pause programming. So we've been coming up with new pivots all the time. Feels like every few weeks we have to do something different, but we're doing a lot more on our own directly with and for our participants. So some of our programs include Shabbat sing-alongs in over a dozen parks around New York to help families connect with Judaism and each other in public spaces. Um, we do have daily programs online for families with young children on Facebook and Zoom, some other platforms as well. We also have been doing Zoom Shabbat experiences for older adults through our partnership with Dorot, as well as a new program that we're doing over the phone for older adults who don't have computers. So in addition to those programs just for older adults, we also are doing more intergenerational programming. We have what we call Grandparent Jam that meets on Zoom once a month for families to connect with each other no matter how geographically spread apart they might be. We're also working hard on our racial justice programming. We have a new series called We Jam for Justice that we're really excited about. And we're always just listening to the needs of our communities to adjust our offerings on an ongoing basis. And we are many people's entry point into Jewish life. And we take that responsibility really seriously and do our best to make each and every one of the experiences really accessible, regardless of any previous knowledge or background. That's amazing because that's how we get everyone to feel comfortable and want to come back and keeping involved. And this really speaks to me as an educator who studied a lot about really the best ways to educate in a supplies in any level, right? That everything I read and everything I've continued to learn through my years says the best ways to do this is hands-on, experiential. And again, just the catchwords that you're using is meeting people where they are. And this is just another example of that. As someone who didn't grow up with so much of a formal Jewish education, I'm like hyper aware of what it's like to be othered in Jewish spaces. I do a lot of professional development and no matter how hard everyone tries, there's always like a moment where someone uses a Hebrew word or a term that it's just assumed that everyone there will know what that means. And even with as much experience as I have now, something small like that will make me immediately shut down. So I think that the fact that I didn't have a formal Jewish education in that sense 
really sets me up for success in that regard to be able to understand that perspective and really try to make everything accessible with, you know, if we use Hebrew in the songs, we make sure to explain it. We don't assume that anyone knows anything. And it's hard sometimes. I even forget. And But we're always trying really hard. And it's a part of the training that we do with our teachers as well, that to not assume anything, whether it's a child or an adult or anything, anybody really. Right. And I can see how hard it is because when I write the show notes for these podcasts, I put in everything that needs to be translated. Mm -hmm. And I recognize that there are things that it's not so much that I assume, but I didn't think about it because it's common for me. And so I try to be also hyper aware because I want everyone to feel comfortable and understand what's going on. And I also know that I have a contingent of people that may not be Jewish or may not have been affiliated with Judaism or just they're friends of mine. So they want to listen. So they've said to me, well, you need to help us here. So I understand how challenging it can be and also how helpful it is in the end. Yeah. And in some of our groups, we'll have like some, maybe some people who are not Jewish at all, all the way up through some families who are Orthodox that come to our experiences all in the same group. And it's both a challenge and an incredible opportunity to figure out how to meet the needs of such a wide range of experience in the same program. But it's beautiful because not only are you doing it, in a sense, you're modeling it for those that come and see and learn that they can accept other people the way they celebrate their Judaism or not. And I think it creates for a space to make peace amongst all people, whether they're Jewish or Orthodox or non-Orthodox or whatever they are. Like it just creates open doors. Yeah. Very well said. I just, I love it. And I noticed on the website, so I just have to ask, I noticed on the website, you're doing virtual birthday parties. <laughs> yeah. You know, we fun. Like, I, I do that. <laughs> yeah. We've been doing birthday parties for years. It's one of those offerings that came out of requests more than anything else you know families that already come to us for music classes when their kid turns one or two they might want us at their birthday party so we do have a traditional takia family experience involves like singing and movement scarves and books and parachutes and bubbles and puppets and all those fun things themed around Shabbat or whatever the case might be. And we've been able to take that and theme it around birthdays. So throughout the pandemic, we've transferred that the birthday experience to Zoom. A couple of families even, you know, worked with us to send packages in advance to everyone who was coming to the party. So they had like an egg shaker and a scarf. And I think one of the parties was superhero themed. So the parent helped order some like superhero socks on Amazon that were put in the package as well so everybody could participate together and now of course since the weather is a bit nicer we're doing more and more outdoor birthday parties around the New York area but I don't think I got to mention yet that we've also been expanding to other cities around the country so hopefully we'll have more birthday parties in other places soon. I know you're doing work in New York in the Bronx and Manhattan and in Brooklyn. Tell me what other areas you're expanding to. Yeah, so we have regular programming all around the New York area. So that includes 
four of the boroughs. We don't do Staten Island just yet, but we'll make it there eventually in Long Island and Westchester and also many parts of New Jersey right outside the city. Pre-pandemic, we were working on our California Bay Area expansion a lot. I had uh, two employees in California. We had regular programming happening several days a week in the Bay Area. And since the pandemic, of course, a lot of our physical national expansion has paused, that we've had the opportunity to connect with families everywhere through virtual programs. And now that things are starting to reopen, we're hoping to pick up our national expansion trajectory. So I'm looking to hire for the Bay Area again in the coming year, also in conversations with other communities like Denver and LA and upstate New York. And we're looking forward to seeing how we can exponentially grow our impact in the next few years. It's so exciting because I really feel like this is needed. And the more you can get out there into other cities, better off we'll be engaging more people and, and keeping them engaged in what I would say is the most joyous part of our culture, our music and our yeah, and a lot of the organizations that choose to work with us are, you know, a Jewish community center or a synagogue. I think more and more of these larger organizations are realizing that they don't have to reinvent the wheel, that there are content providers and other organizations like Takia who have figured out how to do one thing really well. And to partner with someone like that can make a lot more sense than, you know, a, a JCC preschool director having to oversee a music curriculum when that's not their area of expertise. So I feel like there's so much opportunity in the Jewish community in general for partnerships. And I'm excited to see that it, there does seem to be a trend in that direction. I believe so too. And everyone I speak with is talking about partnerships. It's almost like it's the buzzword because it is helping so many organizations move forward and helping in general, the Jewish community become more cohesive. So it's exciting. I always ask everyone, what organizations are you excited about in the Jewish community? Sure. So last year, I and Takia graduated from the Upstart Venture Accelerator. So I got to know the other organizations in my cohort really well. So I'd love to mention them and all the amazing work they're doing. So the other orgs in my cohort were Bamid Bar Wilderness Therapy, J-Girls Magazine, Judaism Your Way, the Museum of Jewish Montreal, Sacred Spaces, Sisterhood of Salam Shalom, New Building Justice, and Sedek America, and another amazing organization that I know through Upstart but wasn't in my cohort is Makom Community in Philadelphia. They're a Jewish after-school program. They're doing more and more, and I think they're opening another location, and they're, I think they're also looking at how to expand the idea nationally as well. And you mentioned J-Girls Magazine. She will be coming up on a podcast soon as well. And then I've also had other organizations that went through Upstart prior to you. So there are lots of great organizations getting supported by Upstart, which is another great. Yeah, I think Upstart, of course, is a great organization to keep your eye on. They support entrepreneurs in the Jewish space like myself with the training and resources we need to grow our organizations. And they've also, this is definitely not why they exist, but they've been an incredible resource during the pandemic, both with training and financial support that have really helped my organization stay afloat. So I'm grateful for a lot of reasons. 
That's awesome. So you said you're grateful for a lot of reasons. And that's the next question is, tell me what you're grateful for today. As the case has been for the past year or so, I'm especially grateful for my health. I've somehow managed to make it through this past year, like completely intact. And my family as well. I'm so grateful that my family has remained healthy. And uh, even though I haven't been able to see them much in person, I feel like in some ways I've stayed connected with my family more than ever. They're able to come to all my programs now and we can have like weekly family dinners on Zoom. But I'm also just so grateful for my team at Takia. I feel so blessed to have such an incredible family of humans by my side every day helping to bring joyful Judaism to our participants around the country. And I couldn't be doing any of this work without them. They stuck by me and the organization and communities that we serve through like the craziest year ever. So a million thanks to my team. Amen to that craziest year ever. I think we all agree on that one. Thank you for being here with me. I just want to ask, is there anything else you want the audience, our listeners to know about Takia or about you, what you're doing? I guess just that we're always looking for new partners and new communities to work with. So if there's anyone listening who has even the slightest interest in maybe working with Takia, I'd love to speak with you. So please feel free to reach out so we can discuss how to bring joyful Judaism to more people around the country and beyond. I keep saying the country, but we have done um, at least one virtual program in Canada. So I should adjust my language a bit. No, it's all good. I catch myself saying the country too, but I realize it's North America and even beyond because I've had people in Israel reach out to me recently too. So everywhere. Yeah, I do hope that Takia will become an international organization at some point. Our education director moved to Paris just before the pandemic, and she's deciding that she wants to stay there longer term. So we're thinking about how we might be able to serve the French Jewish communities and maybe beyond that. So stay tuned. <laughs> so I want to say I'm going to be in New York in the fall. So hopefully I can come find you um, at Shabbat in the park. Oh, yeah, I'd love to have you. Just let me know when you're coming and I'll send you a schedule. When I figure out when I'm coming, I'll let you know. That would be great. No one can really plan that far ahead these days. Yeah. In the meantime, so grateful that you were chatting with me today and that we get to showcase Takia and have my listeners learn more about it. And I can only hope that someone will contact you and find out more and want to bring it to their community as well. Thank you. I really appreciate you having me today. And I'm also looking forward to listening to all your other podcasts and hearing about all the other amazing work that's happening in our community. It's really exciting what you're doing. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Bridging Connections podcast. This podcast and Bridges 613 will succeed if its social media reach is wide. Please partner with us to promote this important work. You can follow us on Facebook at Bridges 613 and visit our website at www.bridges613.org. There you can read blogs, listen to past podcasts, and subscribe to our newsletter. Please share the podcast and our social media links with your community and enable others to benefit and learn about the groundbreaking innovation taking place in our beloved Jewish community. Your support is greatly appreciated.